Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, and today, it's our 100th episode! Now, usual audience members will be going, why is there an audience clapping? I usually listen to this alone in my headphones. That's because we're doing a live episode to celebrate our 100th episode. We're recording it in front of a crowd of thousands. Hear them now! Excellent, yes. Um, So, what what are we going to do? Well, for the 100th episode, we thought we'd do something really fun, really special, really uh, amazing. It's a film that's turning 40 years old. It's considered one of, if not the, funniest film of all time. It is, of course, Monty Python's Life of Brian. Now, regular uh, attendees to uh, the podcast who, who listen to us know that we usually get on someone who has seen the film and someone who has not, and we see the person's reaction to the film who hasn't seen it, and we kind of suss out where it's sitting in the sort of modern uh, spectrum of film. Because it's a live episode and because we've uh, busted out a few extra microphones, today we're going to have two guests that have seen the film and two that have not. This is a hip crowd. I love them so much. Uh, so, uh, will you please make welcome to the stage our two guests who have not seen the film and will uh, be exposing themselves to it for the very first time. Please welcome Claire Mosel Crossley and Dean Lovett. <laughs> Hi guys, just take a seat, grab a mic. Uh, welcome. Uh, how you doing, Claire? Oh, I'm good. And Dean, how are you? Yeah, pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, pretty fan-dabby-dozy. For those uh, who are listening at home and maybe don't know who you are, Claire, who are you and what do you do? I mean, they should know me by now. I've been on this so many times. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm Claire. I have just graduated from Murdoch doing theatre and drama, but I'm... I don't know. I'm not really doing anything. Like I'm a mom. You does are raising. Count? You are raising a child. That that does That's tend to take up quite a lot of time. Yes. Most uh, important job in the world. Ex- Ew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Dean, who are you, and what do you do? Um, my name's Dean Lovett. Uh, I, uh, I'm a freelance artist in Perth. Done a few shows. I'm around. I guess. Yeah. I haven't got any kids. Um, so both an achievement uh, and not an achievement. Neither of you have seen Monty Python's Life of Brian. What? No. What? No. <laughs> yes, and our extremely supportive audience are uh, here yeah. to help you through this. Um, so, so what I want to know is, though, uh, as as two people that have not seen it, what do you actually know about this film? What what do you what do you know about uh, Life of Brian? Uh, go, Dean. Um, I know <laughs> that. He's not the Messiah, he's just a naughty boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my mum used to quote that. Um, to you specifically? 
Oh, constantly um, to let me know that I wasn't the Messiah and I was, in fact, <laughs> just a naughty boy. Mm-hmm. Um, look, not much. I mean, I think I, as, especially at a younger age, I, I skipped over the whole Mo- uh, Monty Python craze. I picked it up later in life. Uh, but I never got around to watching Life of Brian. Well, we're going to rectify that today. Claire, what are you expecting from this film? Um, all I know is it's a parody of Jesus. <laughs> I think that's all you really need to know heading into it, right, guys? I mean, it, 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 yeah. is, it is a Jesus parody, uh, and it should be good fun. Well, helping you, and indeed all of us, through uh, watching this fantastic film, we have two people that have seen the film. Will you please welcome to the stage Katrina Johnston and Murray Jackson. <laughs> Uh, Hello, Katrina. How are you? Hi, Stephen. I'm excellent. Uh, Who are you and what do you do? Uh, Well, I am a third-year lighting student at uh, WAPA and I'm also a lighting designer and a theatre technician. Wonderful. And sat next to you is uh, Murray Jackson, who uh, I would also like to know what you do and who be ye? Well, um, I'm uh, I'm meant to be a finance um, analyst uh, of some sort. Um, I spend most of my time... Um, watching movies, Stephen, with you. Um, (laughs) But yes, that's chiefly the job I'm supposed to do. Excellent. And so you've both seen the film. Uh, Katrina, in a sort of vague, non-spoilery sort of way, uh, what what can our our guests, and indeed people listening at home who have never seen Life of Brian, what can they expect? Well, I guess it depends if they've seen any Monty Python. Because then if you say, oh yeah, if if you've seen Flying Circus or if you've seen... um, Search for the Holy Grail, then you be like just more of that in a way, but um, about a different story. Mm. But if you haven't seen Monty Python, I've I've got no way to explain it to you. That's okay. Now Murray, um, not not to expose a generation gap, but I believe you were the only person that was alive when this film was released on the panel. Yes, indeed, I was. Stephen, um, when did you actually first see the film? I saw the film, by my recollection, about 1981, which is two years after it was released. Uh, Me and me mates, um, or we had a friend who was a little bit better off than than we were, and they had a video machine. Um, And we used to spend afternoons, whilst his parents weren't home, watching all the films that we knew we shouldn't be watching. I think we started with Last Tango in Paris, um, oh, and uh, worked our way through The Exorcist and, and eventually, of course, Life of Brian came up. And coming from a fundamentalist Christian household, um, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Mm, excellent. And uh, h- how much are you looking forward to re- getting to rewatch this film? Oh, look, it's, it's always a lot of mirth watching um, Life of Brian. The thing with Life of Brian is it's um, probably similar to... Um, people who are huge Seinfeld fans, which is sitting there and biting your tongue rather than (laughs) reciting the entire script back to the screen. Um, So I'm going to concentrate on not doing that. Excellent. Oh, well, all that I think remains is... uh, Should we we let uh, the people watch the film, the people at home? Yeah, I think so. Why not? All right. Excellent. For those of you listening at home, uh, pop in your DVDs and go prepare yourself a nice bowl of hot wolf nipples as we watch... The Life of Brian.
and welcome back everyone. We have just finished experiencing the life of Brian. <laughs> yeah. And we have a, a lovely panel here, uh, Claire, Dean, Katrina and Murray. Hello. Hi. Hi. And uh, so, so we've just uh, obviously experienced the film for the first time today. Uh, Claire and Dean, you'd never seen the film before. <laughs> what are your immediate thoughts in the aftermath of having seen the film? Do you want to go first? No, you go first. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just going to throw myself out for potential ridicule here. Uh, I thought it was good, but not great. Uh, and I would argue it was the weakest of the Monty Python movies. Oh, okay. I'm, I, that's that's a great starting point. Uh, um, and <laughs> Murray possibly disagrees. Claire, what were your thoughts? Um, I actually haven't seen any Monty Python before, but I I didn't like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, no, this this Never is mind. good. No, this is really interesting. So. Yeah. Uh, with someone that wasn't necessarily a fan and someone that thought it didn't stack up to the other things, I will jump over to uh, our second <laughs> table uh, of panellists who have seen it. Yes. Um, how was it re-watching it, Katrina? Um, I, I kind of have to agree with Dean. I it, it has been a little while since I've watched it, um, and I do enjoy Monty Python, um, but there are certain parts of it that have not aged well. Mm -hmm. There are certain parts of it that I still find really funny and I, and I enjoy. Uh, and there are certain parts of it I'm like, you're really trying too hard. Okay. So. And uh, Murray, obviously, uh, first time watching it in a while. How, how was it for you? Um, I think it's still magnificent. Um, I, may, I, I think, I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing. Um, but For me, it could just be a mood thing. It, could it, re well be it really, it really depends. Sometimes there are some days where I just can't give a rat's ass. Mm. But I think, um, yeah, from, from where I come from, it, uh, understanding a lot of the sort of like the, the thing that they're parodying here, mm. um, I find little things to laugh about every time mm. um, that I may not have noticed before. Yeah, uh, for, for myself, uh, watching it for the first time in a couple of years, and I did say previously I was looking forward to watching it. It was it was lovely to watch it again. Um, it, you, you know, in that sense of you know the beats of oh, there's Terry Jones pretending to be a, a, a lady. Oh, there's the mer joke. Uh, up oh, spaceship. You know those those sort of bits. Um, but it did. It, it is interesting. It it did feel a little less fresh than um, than I'm used to when watching it, and. That's that's kind of curious. So that, let's unpack this. Um, so obviously the, the film is is a loose parody of the life of uh, Jesus Christ, uh, following somebody who was around at the same time, uh, was born uh, at the same time, and mistaken by the three wise men uh, for being uh, Jesus. Uh, it's Brian, uh, as played by uh, Graham Chapman, uh, and I think Graham Chapman was absolutely fantastic in this straight man role. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not necessarily sure this film works as well if one of the other pythons are playing brian um do you but um graham chapman is always the straight man i think in across all the python films and across all of his roles because doesn't he play the um the military sergeant in flying circus he which does is constantly it's constantly saying nope this is too silly too silly that's true i wouldn't argue that's necessarily a straight man though i would argue that's a very big uh, caricatured thing yeah. of, uh, of playing that british army general but you're right when you compare this to holy grail uh, it's a similar similar thing of him yeah. being king arthur of, of just being this sort of noble upfront um and essentially just not weird person yeah. um surrounded by all these kooky caricatures um yeah, but I, I, 
I, I think a lot of what works from this film is the interactions between Brian and his mother, as played by um, D- Terry Jones, is just mm. fabulous. <laughs> what did you think of uh, of, of Brian's mum as as a mother yourself, Claire? I liked her. <laughs> 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 she's she's not a great mum, but <laughs> no, she does she does slap a newborn infant yeah. in the first scene. Yes, <laughs> uh, but yeah, a fun character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's it is it. And uh, for me, I, I you know we have an audience. I can ask him. Do do we have a favourite line of um of of Brian's mother? Because I think she's got a lot of the choicest lines. Uh, obviously, the big one is the he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. That kind of thing. But were there any others that jumped out? Uh, the stoning, mm. just like want to go to the like, stoning. Yeah, of like watching, like. Jesus. The fact that they're there for this historical moment and she's like, ah, no, we're going to miss <laughs> murdering someone. Let's go. And, mm. and well, buying the stones and like, and the hot, and which leads into, which I think I is the funniest. Rubble. Yeah, but the rubble and the, and the, the fake beards and all the women at the stoning. <laughs> like, so that led to like, I think a quite a funny little scene. I, I think that's actually how the, that kind of idea is what started them off doing this film, they were thinking about the various people that were periphery to great events. Like, mm. think, imagine if you were born on the same day as Jesus. Or if, or if like, you know, Jesus had siblings. How crap would it be to be <laughs> Jesus's, like, younger brother? Like, well, what have you done with your life? Jesus was crucified for his people by your age. Mm. Oh, sorry, Mum. I've just, you know, got my own business and my family and we're all very happy and I'm good to my parents and everything. It's like, well, you didn't crucify, get crucified for your family, did you? I did, I did like that scene where Jesus is, you know, giving a, a sermon and it just slowly pulls back again and again and again. You do kind of have that moment of like, yeah, how did he address so many people? Yeah, I, li- I was thinking about that. It's yeah, like, like, it's hard to... Because sound only goes so far. Yes. It's, it's not and like he was in hill, an auditorium a, or anything. You're on a hilltop. Like, you rec- he re- I reckon he would have repeated himself a lot. Yeah. And I think that's a really fun thing this film does, is that I feel as though, particularly when it first came out, it's very much being billed as this this parody of, of Jesus and, and uh, Christianity and how that obviously caused a lot of... Um, uh, issues at the time and you know the film was uh, banned in Norway I believe and lots of these other things where mm-hmm. people were concerned about that but to be honest it, it sort of feels more just like a parody of of first century life it yeah. really you know like, and playing around I, I think we could go even further and say or even more general in a way and saying it's a parody of people and how quickly people are to latch yeah. on to things mm-hmm. because you think about I was sitting there watching the segment where we see all the doomsdayers Mm. Uh, having the have like speaking in the in the marketplace, that still exists. It's called Speaker's Corner, and I'm pretty sure it's in in Hyde Park in London. Mm. And there's other various places. Or Twitter. Yeah. Or Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Twitter's uh, a great place. For I that. mean, look, it's hard to argue. Like, it was so hyperbolic. The the way that they immediately started following him was so over the top that it's. I would find it hard to argue that they were making fun of religion like theology because it was so clearly insane levels of mm. devotion from ins- mm. you know um but that's that's exactly what you you got back in those times and i and i think i would say even now and 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 what i think that the, the thing is with a, with a film you are i suppose compressed in terms of time and, and conveying mm. an idea and mm. that idea was you know suddenly this guy who's just been wittering on about nothing 
has held their interest to the point where they start following him and it just, the mania develops much. from there. And, you know, the idea that you're talking about um, where they start... The they they the start debating each other yeah. on this nascent um, <laughs> religion yeah. they've got. You know, follow the good. No, follow the sandal. They start finding no, miracles. We have to They're already everything. starting to factionalise. Yeah. yeah. And uh, factionalism is, is something that's explored in a lot of different ways in this film. Obviously, with uh, the People's Front of Judea and uh, the Judean... Yes, right. exactly. And the Judeans <laughs> People's Front and the Popular Front. This idea of something that I think was very much more uh, prevalent in... 1970s uh, UK culture a lot of mm. these very small splinter groups of like left-wing politician uh, political groups uh, that were discussing it's like oh we want uh, socialism what do we want we want radical communism no we want very specific sort of uh, uh, immuno cults like these these sort of different uh, subsections that obviously given that the pythons themselves all have this sort of university background it's one of those things that it just sort of makes sense or it's like those little tiny cliquey clubs that you get in in sort of um, university settings and and i think the way I think the film's ultimate message in, in that sense is that um, it's very easy to get divided over some very, very small trivialities and how that ultimately is yeah. detrimental to just about everyone in the film who isn't Roman. Mm. Uh, it's, are, you, yeah. are you trying to imply that there was a grander message behind that? Well, I do also think they just wanted to make jokes about ex-lepers, but, um, <laughs> but, but I also think that there is sort of this undercurrent that, that's going through through the idea of just blindly following something and just showing the consequences of that, you know, because the, the, the naked man in the hole got killed just because he was unfortunate enough to encounter Brian, who literally jumps into him his hole, uh, stamps on his foot, ends his vow of silence, steals his juniper berries with all these followers, and then they end up taking him off and getting him killed. Can and I just say one of my favourite moments is the shot from behind when he's running over to, <laughs> to attack it's the just people a getting his, of his juniper. No, not that. Just how he ran. Yeah, <laughs> he sort of ran sideways but still forward. Every his legs were splayed it's out. The, like uh, a uh, it's uh, one of the, the curses of high definition of life for yeah. Brian now is you actually get to see his little testicles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I just say, this was the first film that I ever saw a full frontal male, nudity male of nudity. a man. Mm. Mm. First, and first, first ever, first ever film. Out That's out a good point, actually. It's not frequent. No. It's not yeah. common. Do you think it was a prosthetic? I mean, just No, out. no, that was his actual oh. penis. Oh, um, there you go. Good yeah, name. there's a bit about that in the trivia, trivia coming up. Has its own credit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, the I, I it's it's unusual. I was expecting from my memory, I was expecting more nudity from a Python film because they do use nudity often for comedic effect. Whether mm. it's Terry Jones playing the piano naked in the TV show or, um, or or just random shots of breasts here and there, the from Meaning of Life where it's this man is about to die. He's yeah. chosen his form of execution as being chased by a hundred topless roller skaters or whatever it is. <laughs> Footballers, it's, I think, because I remember they all had like gridiron helmets. Yeah, on. yeah. It's I, I did find that they they yeah they. In a way, this film this film felt a little bit restrained in that sense. Um, it, but I, I think it was also because maybe they were perhaps slightly uh, reticent on going absolutely full bore because of the subject matter. Um, I would kind of hope that they realised that it just didn't need it. Mm. Like, the life of Brian... Uh, sorry, not life of Brian. Uh, meaning of life. Too many lives. Um, uh, segment that you're talking about. It made a... It had a point in the fact that it was pointless. Mm. Uh, whereas... 
the, yeah, the only time we see nudity, female nudity in this is uh, Judas after they've, they've been sleeping together and, you know, that makes sense, hmm. um, at least the ma- uh, story-wise. Yeah. But other than that, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it'd be weak jokes. Mm. Not that saying well. some of their jokes aren't very, very lowbrow, but it's still, it's like there's a, I don't know, may, maybe it was a quality threshold. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, there is a good balance of that sort of lowbrow and highbrow humour. Um, the... I don't know if we've got any fans of classical languages in here, but the Latin joke, uh, <laughs> we've, we've got one, uh, <laughs> uh, with, with uh, correcting the graffiti. Um, I actually think that's funnier than any time I've watched it previously. That one actually, I felt, mm. became uh, funnier in this particular watching. Um, and it's just just fabulous. Just just John Cleese just slapping Graham Chapman and saying, now do it, do it this way. What's the possessive? Um, yeah. And... I, I suppose, I suppose, because we're not we're not unanimously sitting here going, God, it is a comedy classic, and it's interesting that it obviously it is often voted as being one of the funniest films, particularly in Britain, and obviously it's a British film, uh, and that's you know there's obviously I, I don't know if you know the British can be a little bit jingoistic at times, uh, and they they do like that film. So what about the life of Brian? Bearing in mind you're in front of a room of people who I presume kind of like the film. Um, <laughs> what about Life of Brian didn't you like, Dean and Claire? I, I got some. Yeah, you Okay. First of all, a short, a short one would just be the pacing. I think uh, the, the movie takes a long time to do very little. Um, and that's fine, normally, with, with comedy. Um, I personally believe, well, not always, but I often believe brevity is a solo wit. Um, there's there's plenty of jokes that they just keep going and going and going, uh, and you have to wonder why because they were they were an improvisational trick. Mm-hmm. They were they were very much about get up and do it and try this and see what happens, and and that works for them most of the time. But you, you can see it in, in other films, which I found to be um, better than this one. You can still see where they've they've really dragged out a scene or really taken a long time to get to uh, where they should be, kind of uh, plot wise. Mm. Um, and and I, part of that is also something I've noticed with a lot of Monty Python, especially after looking up kind of the way that they used to write, which was uh, they were they wrote by committee. Um, there was no one particular person. They would sit in a room and they would throw out fun ideas, and that was obviously well, a actually they they didn't. Um, they they actually wrote in teams, believe it or not. Oh. So you'd have Cleese and Chapman would write, and you had Palin and Jones would write, and mm. Eric Idle wrote on his own. And then they would meet and they would discuss what they had written. And the rule was, if they all didn't laugh, they threw it out. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of the, the, the pacing and so on. Mm-hmm. And I, I was listening to what Stephen was also saying um, before um, about, you know, maybe the, the light has dimmed on this. One of the things that really occurred to me was um, the fact that they do write or they did right in these teams and essentially what you're getting is a collage of sketches put together to Uh, form a narrative. Uh, Yes, and I I, I completely agree and that's, I think, one of their biggest strengths. Uh, uh, But also, you know, it it can also be a drawback at times when you see certain things, it doesn't have the same through line or there's no, uh, it's kind of just like this, then this, then this, then this, rather than um, this which leads to this. If that makes sense. There's a lot of jumping around. It's not until we really, in my mind, it wasn't until we really built that momentum of him becoming Mind the you, though, I would, I I would really argue that 
pretty much all Monty Python stuff is like oh, that. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, well, you can't can't entirely compare this. You, you can really only compare this to Holy Grail because that has a bit more of a standard storyline mm. where Meaning of Life is essentially a bunch of sketches mm. and it's constructed that way. Mm. Deliberately. Um, yeah. Mm. And, but the way writing in that way, we make it sound unusual, but that's actually how um, writing rooms for TV shows and movies happen mm. all over. Uh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, and, I don't, and I think, again, it's, it was one of their greatest strengths that they operated as a group. They were Monty Python. They weren't mm. any one individual. I just think in this case, it was, uh, I noticed it. Um, mm. I, I noticed it in kind of pacing. And, and the issue as well is if, if, if each beat doesn't land, uh, it, it can drag. Mm. I think the, the central sketch, like the series of sketches being tied together premise, um, I think worked quite well in Holy Grail because the the nature of the storyline really allows it. It's yeah. these knights are going on a quest. We're seeing some of their adventures, which is why you can have um, the the castle with the naughty nuns, and you get a couple mm. of minutes of that, and then you get a couple of minutes of the knights who say nee. Um, that that sort of is is allowed to to happen more naturally. Where in this, the through line is Brian, and we're essentially mm. whether or not you enjoy that, I think very much gets tied into how much you sort of are sympathising with Brian or empathising with him and sort of accepting that experience, um, which is partly why I think it was very important that, that they had that right Python playing yeah. Brian. Mm. And I think they... John Cleese couldn't have done it. John Cleese couldn't have done it, even though he really wanted to. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Graham Chapman certainly, um, I think, did, did a fantastic job. Mm. I, I wonder if um, some of the problems that you, you might have with it, Dean, are in terms of, you know, like, the evolution of humour mm. and what we once found funny may not be as funny now or is not, we're not as ready to laugh at. So, yeah. for instance, you know, the scene where um, Pilot is talking about his friend Biggest Dickus, um, <laughs> I can assure you back in the day, um, we used to sit there just falling about laughing. Yeah, I, right? I, Essentially, we're laughing at someone who's got a speech impediment, well, um, which is actually <laughs> making me laugh. I apologise. Um, so, my... I guess my point is, have we now got to a point where we feel uncomfortable laughing at stuff like that? Mm. I, I, th I think as well, uh, it's important to remember that although there was definitely a few jokes throughout that I was a bit like, oh, it's been done or it's a bit derivative or, you know, but the reality is that uh, Monty Python back in the day set those right. benchmarks, yeah. you know. So, you know, obviously, if you uh, absolutely have to consider it for its time. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, plenty of mm. plenty of jokes that didn't age as well. I thought, um, you know, I thought the I, I, uh, there was a few jokes out of um, the speech impediment, but ultimately you kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, we're done with this now. But they kept going and going and coming back to it and going. Um, I I think I agree with you, Murray, to a point in that our yes, our humour has evolved or at least changed, but I think it's not so much culture but maybe more personal because mm. you saw this at quite a young age um, and so you have those memories to, to fall back on. At the moment, Claire and, um, Claire and Dean don't have that and so they're entering it at a stage in their lives where their humour would be very different. M like maybe it's, uh, yeah, maybe a combination mm. of both. Mm. Um, like I still find it really funny. I've still got all those great memories of watching it with like, I think my brother introduced me to, to this and maybe that's Originally. it. Maybe it's a nostalgic yeah. love for it. Um, yeah. mm. I mean, I don't laugh out loud at this film as much mm. as I used to. 
Uh, oh, look, and, and then here's the thing I was saying, as much as I'm kind of uh, dissecting it, I really did enjoy it. I had a grin yeah. on my face the whole time. Uh, my well, favorite shut up part, then, Dean. My, my, <laughs> I want to point out my favorite part, and it was, it, was the, uh, it was the point where I was like, what the f- is happening and I genuinely thought the movie was going a completely different direction was the aliens I didn't know that was in the film I totally forgot about it is this because I was already sitting there like oh come on get to something get to something and then he got picked up by aliens and I thought is this about to go into a space film I really felt my whole face just go yeah (laughs) I feel I feel like that moment is is that had cropped up because you know they're filming it you know, maybe uh, who was who directed it? Terry uh, Jones. Terry Jones. Yeah, directed. he's gone. Hey guys, we've got about you know ten grand spare. <laughs> yeah. What should we do with that? I, well, I think that's just the point where <laughs> they said, okay, Terry Gilliam, what have you got for us? And Gilliam <laughs> went, well, I've got this whole scene here with the outer space. Like, what? Well, it's also th- this film came out two years after the first Star Wars, and it's really interesting. The the films that we've watched in the late seventies, early eighties period that try and replicate Star Wars bits. <laughs> uh, obviously, when, um, when we, way back when we first started doing this podcast, when uh, Roger Moore passed away and we did Moonraker uh, oh, yeah. as, as an in-memoriam episode, that was very clearly the James Bond producers going, this Star Wars thing is making money out the wazoo. We've got to do one in space. <laughs> and this felt very much like a, a nod to that, but it was also just... It was really funny, and I remember a few a few years ago when I went back and watched this film, I'd completely forgotten about the spaceship, <laughs> and it was funny all over again. It was absolutely fantastic, yeah. and I think when you don't know that's coming, yeah. it absolutely works, and it's beautifully finished off with the you lucky there was bastard. Quite a few <laughs> scenes, there was quite a few scenes that I recognised from just the memes. internet. Uh, memes and, and clips memes and have spoiled have a lot of films. I um, feel oh, to a degree. I definitely think so. Um, but that one just absolutely came out of nowhere. My biggest thing was I just I like to go back to what Mary said before. It's just it's not my kind of humour. Like it's just really like I hate pantomimes. <laughs> oh no, you don't. <laughs> and so like that kind of like in your face humour is like, I'm much more of a very, very dark humour kind of person. Mm. So a film that ended with everyone being crucified wasn't dark no. enough for <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they no. were singing about how they should be happy about yeah. it yeah. or yeah. just yeah. Not, not worry about it. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I do, I do get that. And I, I, I actually um, agree to an extent that when I was up, uh, younger and I heard that about these people that didn't think Monty Python was funny, and I was shocked and aghast going, how is that not how is that possible? How can you not like them? But through, you know, being exposed to more things, I can see how Monty Python could be, to a point, quite inaccessible. I think the films mm. are a lot more accessible than the television show, if anyone's tried to, to watch those. Um, <laughs> at times, that's just... I have no idea what's happening. I'm enjoying it. Uh, but, yeah, I think part of it is that there is... It, it is very, um, very much grounded in that sort of... That British culture as well. I do think certain, certain bits of the, jo- uh, of the jokes... T- I feel as though I find them, as, as someone who might be able to tell by the accent, is British. Um, I do what? feel as though. Yes, I know. After 100 Get episodes, him. I reveal it all. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I do feel as though there are some little cultural connections to partly just the voices, partly just mm. the, some of the mannerisms um, that maybe wouldn't necessarily uh, carry across elsewhere. With all that being said, then, um, I'm, I'm curious to know what, what do we think about 
the song at the end because in terms of the big moments of this film it's it's the biggest dickers joke it's um <laughs> which is still funny everyone was tittering when that was happening I, I, it, it i think that scene is still quite funny but then we get to this I, the most iconic thing that yeah. arguably the pythons have produced which is always look on the bright side of life um how, how did that read for for our two new our two new viewers I thought it was a bit strange. <laughs> like, Which is true. <laughs> and the reason behind Whoa. is because... Um, no, because they didn't have any, like... They had the song at the beginning mm-hmm. when they did the opening credits. Mm. Were you able to hear the lyrics of that song, by the way, very well? Not very well. So it is a song literally describing that he has a body. <laughs> It's like he has arms, he has legs and hands and feet and he was spotty. Mm. Oh, dear. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just thought it was very strange that it was like the only, like, I come from a musical background, so I'm like, where are the songs? Mm. Um, Yeah, it just, it kind of threw me off that all of a sudden they were singing and I was like, okay. Mm. Dean, uh, your thoughts? I knew it was coming. Mm. Um, again, I live in. I live on the internet. Well, I don't live on the internet. <laughs> I have a phone. And it's 2019. Uh, yeah, I, I knew it was coming. Um, I was whelmed. I guess. I don't think I. I was. You were neither over nor under. No, I, I thought it was a fine way to end the film. I thought it was funny that they kept coming to uh, save him, and it's like <laughs> by the last one, you're there, like, because they did a good job of building the tension. Of like, oh, if they can get there just in time, they can get there just in time, and then finally everyone gets there, and they're just like, nah, bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that was nice, uh, and it was, I don't know, it's quite a nihilistic ending in the end, wasn't it? It goes with the Python tradition, really, of not knowing how to end films. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's I like if, if you that. watch um, Holy Grail. Yeah, that the, thing oh, just yeah. completely Im- implodes cops. at the end, um, and and they, I think I read somewhere they admitted they didn't know how really to end this, mm-hmm. and um, it was decided that there there might be a song somewhere. So Eric Idle went away and wrote this bloody song, according to him, in about half an hour. Um, came up with the music, came back, played it, and. The rest of them were completely underwhelmed by it. They they didn't like it really, but mm. they had nothing else. Mm. So we'll we'll just go with Eric's song. Mm. Um, and now, from <laughs> what I understand, it's it's one of the most requested songs played at funerals these days. Yeah, really? yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. a frequent song. Mm. Just a little bit of comedy gold that comes out of nowhere if you listen to it if you think about what it's saying it's saying to to not take yourself too seriously Mm. and to not take the human condition too seriously oh yeah because that's really like all the followers of of brian the that he randomly picks up and all the different groups that's what they're doing they take life way too seriously Mm. um and in that way i think it really it's really on message with Everything that that has has happened to Brian in a way. Look, I mean, the only thing that could have made that ending better was if the aliens showed up again. Yeah, <laughs> but they were dead. But then, like, dead. I don't know. They just showed up and then left anyway. Mm. He still died. Mm. Or joined in the song. Yeah. And then they're like, "Yes, this message is universal." Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll contact the Pythons and let them know they can fix it uh, just yeah. in time. If they could just make that one change yeah. before they yeah. release it. Directors cut. Um, so. 
we've got some trivia, which has Ooh. been sourced from IMDb. Uh, would you guys like to hear some trivia about the life of Brian? Yeah. Yes! Excellent. It would have been awkward if you'd said no. Um, <clears throat> when Michael Palin, as uh, Pontius Pilate, uh, addressed the soldiers daring them to laugh, um, the soldiers who were extras were ordered to stand there and not laugh, uh, and Palin kept trying to make them laugh. Um, so that's why it, that's why the, they're not acting in that scene. They, <laughs> they've been told by the director, they've been told by Terry not to laugh, and Michael Palin is like, okay, now I'm going to try and make them really, really laugh. Um, in particular, uh, they had a lot of trouble with when he was saying, Wizable. <laughs> um, yeah, so absolutely fantastic. Um, in an interview of Monty Python's Flying Circus, live at Aspen, uh, John Cleese said that uh, because of the massive protests against the movie uh, from all denominations of Christianity, he would joke with Michael Palin saying, we've brought them all together for the first time in 2,000 years. <laughs> um, now, um, Murray, obviously, um, you, you, you spoke a little bit about this earlier. Um, um, did you have anything more to add on, particularly the the sort of outcry at the time or from the couple yeah, of years? Yeah, I, I, I actually have really um, um, strong memories of it. I remember when the film came out, as I say, I was raised in a, a fairly fundamentalist Christian household, uh, so there was no way I was going to be watching this film and I was too young anyway. Um, but I do recall at the time my dad had you know, these church newspapers and this bloody film kept making the front page about what a risable piece of rubbish this was, written by people who had never seen the film. Um, <laughs> and when the film was released, I believe there was actually a call for it to be prosecuted under the blasphemy laws at the time. Because um, they said Jehovah in it, presumably. <laughs> It was on some show, I think it was something like the Southbank show or something along those lines, the Bishop of Suffolk and a very famous um, you know, Christian fundamentalist called Malcolm Muggeridge were invited to appear on the show and up against them were um, Palin and Cleese. And Who I believe at Cambridge, were they at Cambridge or Oxford? They were at one of them. One of them. <laughs> Didn't yes. they read theology? there or one of them did uh, that i'm not exactly yeah. sure i do know that out of that debate the church people came out looking distinctly silly mm. and cleese and palin came out looking like they had actually defended their case quite well how did it affect your personal beliefs seeing oh film? this this movie that's a, that's actually a really good question dean um when i watched this film for the first time i actually felt like I had committed a sin, um, and then I, th I, I quite enjoyed that feeling. Uh, so I, <laughs> I went I, out and sinned some more. I explored more. that a little uh -oh. more, um, and and ended up becoming a, a, a fairly staunch atheist. Um, but yeah, it took me a lot of time. I actually felt a lot of guilt about enjoying this film when I when I first watched it. So what you're saying is that there might be just a tiny bit of Blasphemy in it? No, not because maybe the seeds no, of anti-theism. Okay. That, that's, that's not how blasphemy works, Steve. They, they, when this when this idea came about, they actually did look at a direct parody of Christ, mm. and they decided that you just can't do it. You can't mock Christ. There's nothing funny in mocking Christ, but there's a hell of a lot 
of fun to be had in mocking the idea of you know the um, the fundamentalists who mm. follow mm. a lot yeah. of these movements. And one of the original ideas was to actually make Brian the thirteenth apostle. Mm. Uh, but that he always kept missing the crucial moments of Jesus's life, like the Last Supper, <laughs> um, which is a funny concept. We all, we all just yeah. laughed at that. That would have been a fun film as well. But I think, yeah, removing it from the immediate impact, like, you know, Jesus didn't turn up and go, hey, Brian, you're my best friend or whatever. I think mm. that was that was quite a clever move from them. Um, they did have a great idea, though, where they were, you know, when they were exploring the idea of actually... Um, parodying Christ he's up on the cross and he's criticizing them for the quality of the cross that they've made because he's him a being a carpenter <laughs> yeah which again would have been good but yeah I think they did made a good choice maybe just keeping him on the periphery um, so Norway banned this film for one year for blasphemy uh, and then gave it an 18 rating and included a warning from the censors at the beginning of the film so Sweden obviously Norway and Sweden like to you know get a rise out of each other uh, they marketed the film as being so funny it was banned in Norway. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, uh, Ireland actually banned the film for blasphemy until 1987, uh, and Torbay Council in Devon refused to show the film until 2008. So, you know, um, in fact, in 2009, Aberystwyth in Wales lifted its local ban after a certain Sue Jones Davis, who played Judith in this film, became mayor of Aberystwyth. So when she became mayor, they went, ah, your film's all right then. We'll, we'll, we'll put it on. I'm, I'm calling corruption. I, I, I wonder, though, if the, those bands are uh, one of those like, little things that people have just kind of forgotten about. Because you, you, you know, you always, you always hear in the news occasionally when you know it's a slow news where you're like, oh, did you know kite flying is illegal in Perth? It's Could one be. of those things that people don't. Um, they're just discussing they just, about how people they never got around to the paperwork of like well, unbanning it. <laughs> yeah. Well, laws do need to be relooked at all the time, and it's quite a process, and and um, usually pretty low on the list for lawmakers. I have to imagine there would have been plenty of people who saw it. In any band area. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a lot easier these days, but even then, yeah. you know. After the first take of the scene where a nude Brian addressed the crowd in front of uh, his window, uh, Terry Jones pulled Graham Chapman aside and said, I think we can see that you're not Jewish. <laughs> so they corrected this with a rubber band. So, oh, that's... Yeah, so, and I... I Yes, I was looking out for it when we were watching this. <laughs> I was specifically going, right, I'm going to have to look at Graham Chapman's penis now. And yeah, they've, they've attempted to make it look uh, as culturally appropriate as possible, which is kind of a nice What touch. are you getting for that level of commitment, though? A very sore penis. Mm. What? And, and, a pay, and a paycheck. Who's walking out? He got abducted by aliens 20 <laughs> minutes before. Who's walking out and going, oh, okay. realism and such. Okay, okay, so... I went and saw a play with a teacher friend of mine. Went and saw The Crucible. This was last year. Uh, you know, very, very stylized, reasonably historic stylized. Um, and they'd obviously made some very specific choices. The thing You're that she had the issue with was, was the fact that they used a pencil, no, sorry, a pen at the end of the play for John Crofter or John Proctor to sign his own confession. And I'm just like sitting there going, Celeste, we've just watched three hours of Arthur Miller, and that's all you can say? That's, that, there's a show that, I mean, Arthur Miller commits is realism. I mean, well, presentation. Realism, I'd say realism, depending on the, the show, but that's, it's not Monty Python. 
You know, it's not a, I, I would, aliens picking people up and flying. Like, it's, I would argue come it's... Come on, the, like, what? I would, yeah. I would argue it's the same. There are always people looking out for those details. That's got to be... No, that's, I reckon that's them having a laugh on Stephen, did you um, understand the origins of Life of Brian? Um, well, it was partly, uh, from my book in the trivia tour, was partly people kept asking them what were they going to do next after Holy Grail, because mm. uh, Holy Grail was a big success. Mm. And uh, Eric Idle, who was quite annoyed, uh, basically said they were going to do a film, and it was something along the lines of Please. like... Jesus Christ, lust for glory. That was it, yeah. <laughs> and so people went, oh, okay, and just took that as... as truth and uh, then they went actually can we play around with that idea and that's it's where it came from it came from them just being bothered because holy grail had done so well um (laughs) which i thought was kind of a nice touch um the script itself was written in the caribbean when the pythons were uh, hobnobbing with a few of their famous friends including uh, the who's keith moon uh, mm-hmm. he was a drummer for the who he was slated to play the one of the street prophets uh but uh, obviously unfortunately passed away um unexpectedly uh and so the script of this film actually has a dedication to keith moon in it Aww. Yeah, and there's a, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of tiny cameos. Uh, Spike Milligan is in this film mm. very briefly as um, he's the guy that sort of just has his arms up in the air after the shoe gourd scene and then just kind of wanders off when he realizes no one's listening to him. <laughs> um, and he was only there because he happened to be on holiday near where they were filming at the time. And they went, "Oh, Spike's here. Do you want to come be in the film?" And he went, "Yeah." So that's... and he got a credit for it and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. It was literally just he happened to be on holiday around the place where they were making it. And I think it I think it is interesting. Interestingly, they decided to make a film in some nice hot weather after going through all the mud and rain of filming like, um, they Holy Grail. They all so that's, sunburnt, that's actually, though. Cleese requested that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not surprised. He, I think they all would have been much happier doing this in sort of like a nice hot climate as opposed to just being in those like those night suits which are actually made of wool. Uh, and so they got really heavy when and wet when it rained. And yeah, I think let's just run around in our underpants basically in, in the desert. Free flowing caftans. Yeah. Um, when Brian appeared nude in that uh, scene, uh, he was actually still nude. on it. Okay. Well, <laughs> we were, uh, there was what a, else did he rubber band? Well. <laughs> He, he, he was nude in front of about 2,000 people and uh, some women shrieked the first time they saw him nude uh, because they hadn't told them. And they were, they were local, uh, locals to where they were filming in Tunisia who, of course, are predominantly uh, Muslim. So they, they just not thought to tell them, oh, uh, yeah. you might see a naked man. And so they went, oh, whoops, basically. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a faux pas from them. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think that's called flashing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they could have technically arrested him for that, I guess. Uh, originally financed by EMI, uh, they backed out uh, of funding this film because uh, they considered the script blasphemous, which makes you wonder, were they listening in any of the original meetings? Uh, the Pythons then sued EMI and settled out of court. Fortunately, they were saved by Monty Python fan George Harrison, also known as that's one right. of the Beatles. That's yeah. right. Uh, he made his own film studio called uh, Handmade Films and pawned, in his words, his home in London to raise the $4 million they needed. When asked why, he said, I want to see this film. So Eric Idle has joked, it is the highest price anyone has paid for a cinema ticket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and he pays reference to the MI thing too in um, Bright Side of Life. The very, very end of that um, song, there's a line there where he's basically mumbling to himself, he says, I said to them, I said, you'll never get your money back. I said to them, Bernie, you'll never get your money back. 
The Bernie he's referring to is some guy, Bernie, someone or other, who was head of EMI at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, George Harrison is also one of the cameos in this film. He uh, plays Mr. Papadopoulos, who is the owner of the mount, uh, shakes hands with Brian uh, in the crowd scene uh, and says uh, a very Lutherpudlian hello. Uh, it, so they had to actually dub it over uh, because it, it didn't quite sound... Oh, no, they dubbed it over because the uh, mic quality wasn't good on the day. But yeah, George Harrison is very briefly in that film. Uh, the scene where Brian and the others on their crosses was recorded early in the morning, and as such, it was quite cold. John Cleese can be seen wearing clothes because uh, he couldn't stand the cold, so <laughs> he insisted they dress him before crucifying him. That's why the rest of them are just in their underpants, and he's not, because he's a big old suck. <laughs> can I just um, say, in that first scene where he's... Well, early scene, where he's the, um, the judge about it at the stoning... How bloody tall is he? Like, you forget for the rest of the film and then you see that, that, that scene and you're like, oh, that's right, he's a giant. No, but even without the rock. And he is wearing a big hat. Yeah, but... Also high still, heels. Shut up. He's really tall, okay? <laughs> he is certainly very tall. And that, that, we only touched on that scene uh, briefly, but I think that, is, that still stands up as being a really fantastic scene. Yeah. Are there any women here? It's funny about the fact that all women. Yeah. Mm. Uh, or, or men well, playing women. Well, men playing, playing women, men. a good portion of them. <laughs> yeah, one of them is very obviously Eric Idle with a fake beard. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, Graham Chapman was a qualified doctor, so he would hold clinics for the cast and crew after a day's work on set because there were a lot of injuries and sunburn and things like that. Did you guys yeah. notice the, uh, the cuts every time someone got struck or fell over or...? I noticed they sped up the film yeah, at times with a lot did. of the hits. It's and an it old was, one, and yeah. they just kind of they do it a little bit slower, yeah. and then basically just bring it forward. But you you can notice it's kind of uh, if you, if you're paying attention, you can mm. see it almost cuts quick forward and then yeah. repeats. That and when all the Roman soldiers were going in and out of the people's yeah. front of Judea, <laughs> yeah. which to be honest, I was kind of grateful for because I think for me that's one of those parts in the film that isn't quite as funny yeah it's funny watching them all hide in baskets and not be very well hidden but again it's one of those things that i feel maybe doesn't quite work as well as other parts of the film uh the opening not the opening sorry after the credit sequence when they have the shot of the crowd walking towards the mount um that was not actually scripted but they realized it would be a good shot to take um it was because all the tunisian extras suddenly left uh because it was dinner time so they just left because they knew, right, the food's being made at home, we've got to go. Which is also why they put about tea time, because it was <laughs> about tea time, uh, which is quite fun. Uh, John Cleese wanted George Lazenby to play the part of Jesus Christ. Uh, he said it would be hilarious, and the film's tagline could be, George Lazenby is Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Lazenby was already working on another film at the time. So uh, that, was a, that was a little bit of a shame that they... Uh, couldn't get in a form of bond. During the Venice Film Festival, the UAAR, the Italian Union of Rationalist Atheists and Agnostics, uh, assigns the Premio Brian, or the Brian Award, uh, to the most rationalist or atheist movie presented at the festival. It is named after this film. What are the merits of the film that wins? Rationalist and atheist, did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an atheism film award, but they've chosen so to So they, they would just pick like a lecture or something? Well, no, I think they're just picking uh, picking a film which agrees to their particular outview. Interesting. Uh, yeah, their kind of viewpoint. But they decided to name it The Brian, which I think is maybe reflective, uh, particularly with what you were speaking about earlier as well, Murray, of mm-hmm. the fact that maybe this film made 
pissed a lot of Christians off. (laughs) Yeah, basically, which is the key point of being an atheist. Um, (laughs) In 1982, during the Falklands War, sailors aboard the destroyed HMS Sheffield, uh, which was severely damaged in an uh, Argentine missile attack, uh, they were waiting for rescue in the sea, and to keep their spirits up, they sang Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, uh, which I thought was kind of a nice touch. I think in some ways that would help, in some ways that might hinder. Mm. <laughs> That's true. It's definitely a morbid song. Now that we've uh, discussed uh, some of the bits of the film, uh, we have our lovely audience members here who may have some questions, queries, quandaries. One of them is up at the mic already. Uh, what's your name, young man? Maxim. Nice to meet you, Maxim. Uh, what did you want to say? Uh, I actually wanted to bring up earlier, we were talking about, well, you guys were talking about um, things that have aged well or maybe mm. not aged well. We haven't and talked about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was wondering, were, like, uh, for example, the speech impediment, is that not funny or is it, does it make people uncomfortable? Or what are your thoughts on, for example, the blackface or the je- like jokes about gender and the like? Mm. Speak yeah. away. Okay, let's, let's maybe unpackage this one uh, an issue at a time. Uh, so the speech impediment, first and foremost, um, it's one of the things which is probably most famous from this film because of the Willis Bwyan uh, sentiments. Um, well, it's not just that. There's a jailer as well, isn't the j- there? Yeah, the, the one who sort mm. of stops with Stammers. the stutter. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it, I guess just a simple yes, no. Did, did, that make, did that feel uncomfortable or did you feel that it was okay or I, I think with something like that in particular it's whether or not you feel as though they're doing it in a way that specifically mocks people that suffer from those afflictions which it does well if uh, that's just it do you feel it does that uh, well, look I, yes, I think yes and no I think in the end I personally wasn't offended by it mm. uh, but, but I did find it to be a little mean-spirited uh, just, the, just I just felt it went going too long it. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, like the point I, I often find when it comes to comedy, it's what are you trying to say and how are you trying to get there? And for that yeah. one, it was just constantly like, oh, isn't it funny how these people sound? Mm. Uh, mm. And that was just the continuing joke. At least, at least like with the two jailers, uh, that they paid it off by having them. It, it was all an act. Um, yeah, mm. it was an act to, to everyone else, but to each other. I found the Pontius Pilate one to an extent more forgivable because it was being used as the, this is our boss who can technically have us crucified. Mm. And when it set up the, we're not allowed to laugh, but the central premise yeah. being that this yeah. is somebody who pronounces things in a way that to some ears sounds a little bit childish yeah. or a little mm. bit funny. I actually found the jailers ones less... Uh, okay, I guess, in my yeah. sense. Even though they, they did the joke at the end of where they can talk perfectly normally, um, it kind of almost just raised a couple of questions of, mm. are they just being dicks then? Like, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, uh, yeah, ultimately, ultimately, I think maybe, yeah, there, there are, that is more forgivable than the fact that, say, for example, John Cleese is technically in blackface uh, as one of yeah. the three wise men, which, uh, Katrina, you were saying you'd never noticed before. Yeah, I'd never noticed yeah. it, and I think it's just because every time I've seen it, I've seen it on a smaller TV, and mm. he does have quite a lot of costume and paraphernalia and stuff mm. like that around him, so it is a bit difficult to see, but now on a, well, um, pretty much half a wall... Uh, yeah, you can see it quite clearly, and it's like, oh, mm. why? Why did you choose? Oh, one, once again, this this is also, a, a, I think, a time-bound yeah. thing mm. because in but the same year you would have the goodies doing episodes mm. where they were in blackface, and we all thought at the time that that was hysterical back then. Um, yeah. Probably two years prior to this film being made, one of the biggest 
shows on UK TV was the black and white minstrel show. Oh, Every God. week, white men would come out in blackface and sing Mammy. Um, and it, it rated through the bloody roof. Um, makes... Now, looking back, that's kind of nasty. Mm. But that I mean, was of its time. It makes me wonder if maybe that's because um, uh, UK, how the UK has dealt with race is very different yeah. to the US. Like, I don't think that... And, and I, I don't know my history on this very particularly well. I don't think that that blackface would still have been occurring in the US. It is also partly the fact that in a lot of the um, sort of more traditional, uh, particularly theatrical depictions of the three wise men, it's usually two white men, one black man. Um, that, that happens Which in Which I of... don't get. They're in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, look, it's Europe. Oh. We're unpacking a lot of things here. But um, yeah, that was kind of the traditional thing. And I honestly think with that particular one, because the three wise men are never kind of shown as being individualistic. They're just there mm. as these three wise men. Mm. I don't think John Cleese went in there and said, I want to do this in blackface. I think that was probably a choice of makeup, direction, look. Yeah. wasn't even drawn attention to. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think, think the other thing that we, I don't know, maybe you've hit on a point here where you're talking about the, the stylized depictions yeah. of the three wise men. That whole scene is set up to be essentially a Christmas card. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. So, if you're talking about a traditional depiction of three wise men, two white, one black, mm. then they are capturing the Christmas card. Mm. But I think at the end of the day, it was probably just laziness. Um, mm. And that yeah. th at least Cleese isn't um, putting on a, a mocking Jamaican accent mm. or something silly along yeah. those so lines. So, on that note, moving on to a different example. I notice, and this is something Monty Python does a lot, and I'm not 100% against it, but I'm also not 100% for it. Whenever they have a man playing a woman, they play that woman, for the most part, as incredibly shrill. Mm. Very uh, shrewish. Very, yeah, and that's kind of, I guess, part of the joke. I, I was thinking about it coming here today, and I never particularly enjoy how Monty Python portrays women. Mm. Um, and, and again, it is, it is a time thing. It is... I think that yeah, one of the, one of the things that you've got to understand if you if you understand that the history of the pythons is mm. when they were making Monty Python's Flying Circus, they were incredibly insecure around women. Um, they really didn't know how to interact or bring them into the show. In fact, mm. the, the women in the show essentially were caricatures. Um, the shrillness and so on that comes or it follows on from the TV series when they basically played all the women characters like that. They mm. became known as basically the Pepper Pots. Mm. Um, you know, they were dressed in their um, twin sets and, and so on. Tea um, on their head. So I think it was a carry-on from that mm. because mm. Terry Jones has an incredibly high voice anyway. Um, so you're not going to get a, a low-range Terry I, Jones. And to be fair to the Pythons, I don't think we can we can blame them for it because they are continuing a tradition. Mm. Mm. A um, tradition which continues today of, like, the pantomime dame. The dame. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I've been to pantomimes in the last couple of years where there's been a, you know, a 60-plus-year-old man who's playing the dame. But I think it, it sort of depends on... I think it also depends on where the... Um, 
what is the butt of the joke? The butt of the joke with Terry Jones's uh, mother character isn't that he's playing a woman, it's that it's an overbearing mother. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I don't think at any point... Um, I don't think at any point the character's femininity is used as the butt of the joke. Mm. Um, and I think, I think when it's used in that sense, that's mm. when we go, ooh. Uh, whereas in this particular thing, it's Terry Jones putting on a silly voice, you know, and yeah. saying things like all the gold I could eat and just, just being um, this, this horrible, overbearing caricature that isn't necessarily defined by their gender. Um, mm. But I, I do agree that, yeah, particularly with the television show, there is there are issues with that. But it's just the fact that it was six white, mostly British men. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's just, you know, they were going to write about particular things and maybe not necessarily be engaged or caring with or thinking about uh, up-and-coming radical social movements. Um, I'm curious now what, what people thought, though, of... Of uh, from the um, People's Front of Judea, yeah. uh, where you've got the character of Stan who wants to be called Loretta. Um, mm. I'm I'm kind of curious about that because it, I, when it cropped up, I'm, it it is being played for a laugh, but at the same time, I was surprised with the fact that it was only. John Cleese's character, Reg, who seemed opposed to the idea. And only in that one scene, really. Yeah. Afterwards, it's like they, they call think, him her Loretta. Yeah. I think, like, from a cursory glance and based on the time it came out and just them, I don't think they thought of that as anything beyond just a simple yeah. joke. Because mm. uh, you watch it and you're like, this is surprisingly progressive, but then yeah. at times... Regressive, and then you kind of just get the feeling that, like, oh, I think they just thought which, this would be a random thing to which, do. Which, to be fair, is the problems that you find with a lot of those social movements through the 60s and 70s. Mm. Um, feminism at the time was very progressive, didn't really help um, women of colour mm. or, or trans women or anything like that. The civil rights movement, whilst very progressive or the, for, for black people, might not have helped um, other ethnicities and was also quite sexist itself. Mm. And there's all these, um, yeah, all those different movements. They they decide what they're going to defend and they'll defend that. Mm. And they'll, they'll still, within themselves, be, still be quite misogynistic or sexist or racist or whatever. Mm. Mm. Um, it's... Yeah, and you you even see that in the gay rights movement where they'd push for rights for gay men but not necessarily lesbians or um, trans women were still... or trans Sorry, trans people were still very stigmatised even within the gay community. Mm. Yeah, Great so. question, Maxim. Uh, <laughs> really fan dabby dozy. Um, any, any other particular questions? Uh, so, yes, we have Scott here wearing a uh, Holy Grail shirt, might I add. Uh, very, very nice. Uh, what's your question, young man? Uh, more of a going back to your I was the one person who laughed at your uh, linguistics joke mm. the Latin lesson because mm. um, that for me is actually the funniest part of the film and that's the bit I associate the most with um, probably because when I first watched the film I was quite young probably too young to watch it probably like you were um, but I the, the difference was my father was the one sitting next to me explaining all the jokes to me because <laughs> a lot of them I just didn't get mm. uh, like you said product of the times I didn't know what was going on or what really to think about it um, but the Latin lesson really hit home for me uh, what the rest of the film was trying to get at, which is the, the Monty Python boys were all public school, which is in the UK, private for us. Mm -hmm. um, and they had the, not, the Latin lesson sort of forced upon them um, in their schooling. And then having to learn these things and having... John Cleese basically becomes the angry schoolmaster forcing them to learn Latin. That's something they all have to deal with as they grew up. 
But another thing that would have had to do in that schooling was also religious teachings as well. And I think their, their way of doing that Latin lesson is also indicative of the rest of the film in the way that I think they push back against the religious mm. teachings that they've mm. been that's been pushed on them as they were kids. Yeah, it, it's an issue with uh, dogma as opposed to the subject matter. And I think mm. you're right, having it be that Latin lesson, which is a very sort of mid-20th century uh, English schooling experience. Taught of by rote. Yeah, well, pi- that, that, I mean, that's Python essentially. Python was about basically disassembling tropes and s- taking things that would had been you know, written in stone. Um, I mean, then from the, the perspective of comedy, they took what was established comedy, the established sitcom, and completely turned that upside down. Um, and it, it follows through in, as you're saying, in, the, in the, the other work that they do, in that they take something that was they were inculcated with um, growing up and completely pull it apart. Well, so, I yeah. think they do that as well with English manners in a lot of their other um, skit, uh, skits and, mm. and shows and things like that. Like, there are so many Monty Python skits that are set up based on misunderstandings. What's the, what's the one where there's a guy in a pub saying, oh, is your wife a goer? Oh, the nudge, yeah. nudge, wink, wink guy. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, that's all just based around in British euphemisms and how they, you know... Man wouldn't say trousers; he'd say my southern necessity and things mm. like that. Yeah. And yeah, so I think they're, they're, yeah, I would agree with both both those statements. Um, they're we, always trying to send, not send up, but break apart things that are seen as immovable and traditional. Why it's uh, it's it's soon to be Dr. Ellen Sears. Yay! Yay. Question is, so obviously I was on the Holy Grail podcast because I was like, if you don't put me on it, I will kill you. Um, because that is my favourite, favourite Python film. And for me, of the three films, Holy Grail is still my absolute favourite. It's the mm-hmm. first one I ever saw. This is the second one I saw and it's second in ranking as well. And then the last one I ever saw was Meaning of Life. And I don't know if it's just because it's the order I watched them in, but for me, Holy Grail is like the pinnacle of the movies for me. This one's sort of, yeah, probably second. And the meaning of life is just the... It's not quite as structured. So, for me, that's, like, at the bottom of the pile. So, I just wanted to ask, for those of you who have seen all three, and, I mean, we can probably throw that to these guys as well mm. in the audience, where do you think this kind of sits if you were going to rank them, like, one, two, three? And this might lead into your scoring of the film as well. Yes. Uh, mm. Murray, we'll start with you, because um, I'm, I'm not even assuming. I'm just... I'm, it must yeah, be. Yeah, I'm old enough them. to have seen Meaning of Life at <laughs> yeah. the cinema release. Yes, that's, that's, that uh, is great. Can, where so would you rank Just them? before we get into that, can I just ask, what was the order in they were made? So, The order they made, were made was Holy Grail, Life of Brian, Meaning of Life. Interesting. Yeah. They did have an earlier cinematic release called and now for something completely different, which was mm. actually just a recreation of um, some skits from the, the TV show. Yeah. Mm. I'd probably advise don't watch it. It's, it hasn't held up well at all. Um, but of the, the three, look, it's, the difficult thing with Meaning of Life is it, it is a series of skits. They had a hell of a hard time writing the thing. They were tired. They weren't necessarily getting on particularly well, some of them together, um, and it shows. Um, it's still a fine film. Um, so, yeah, you... you I don't think you'd find too many people wouldn't say that one's at the bottom. That's number three. 
the other two are different movies. Um, Life of Brian, I'd suggest to you, is fairly linear in terms of its um, narrative structure. Although it is made up of skits, it follows through with a fair degree of, of um, not predictability, but, you know, it follows the bouncing ball. <laughs> um, Holy Grail. Well, Holy Grail's a musical, for a start, <laughs> um, and it bounces mad ideas left, right and centre. It doesn't even really end properly. Mm. Um, it takes, it breaks the fourth wall in the final scene. So they're different films, but yeah, it's really hard to go past Holy Grail. Yeah. Mm. And second? Oh, Life of Brian. For me, uh, I'd probably agree with Ellen's ordering. So yeah, Holy Grail, Life of Brian, Meaning of Life, Maybe on a depending on my mood, might switch the last two. But you have yeah, established pro- mood is a big uh, yeah factor. yeah I yeah I some 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 days I sit down and watch a comedy and like I've liked this before. Why am I not liking it now? Mm. Might be just I've chosen the wrong film to watch that particular day. Yeah, um, um, I would yeah. Ag- I'd agree with the order. Uh, Holy Grail, uh, I think is is has always been my favourite. The Pythons, and. Um, it was subsequent rewatchings of other films have kind of confirmed this really um, I'm slightly tempted to put Meaning of Life above this one but that's only yeah. just because I haven't seen Meaning of Life for the a long time I am going to agree with that uh, the interesting thing that I find is that we all put Holy Grail mm. at the top it was when they had the least money and mm. some of their decisions the within ideas. some of their decisions within Holy Grail were we don't have money mm. so we're not going to do this section like the whole song about um, Camelot um, is because they couldn't afford the money to go film in a particular mm. castle mm. and the whole cut to oh let's not go to Camelot it is rather a silly place mm. kind of finished that off and as Ellen was just motioning to me yeah the coconuts um, yeah look I also think I mean typically in terms of comedians at least in my experience uh, you have a lot of ideas when you first start out when, you, mm. when you're doing your first movie there's it's a huge idea space and you throw all of that out and then it becomes more of a job after that, rather than privilege. No, I would say uh, Holy Grail, uh, Meaning of Life. I'm sorry, Life, Brian. Uh, third, Claire, as someone who... You haven't yeah, seen any of the others. You haven't so, seen them. So Life of Brian's your number one, right? Rank them, so Just I do guess, it. No, 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 no. Well, if one's a musical, put that as my number one. Okay. <laughs> well, it has music. It's not a musical. It's been turned into a musical. After a little bit of a brief reflection, I'm actually going to keep Life of Brian in the middle. Uh, I've mm. just remembered that, yeah, there's a lot of meaning of life, which, although good, a lot of it just plain doesn't work. Coming to the mic now, we have Kate Willoughby, uh, frequent Yay. guest. Uh, how Hello. are you doing, Kate? I'm good. Excellent. Uh, uh, well, you had a point about uh, Holy Grail. Yeah, I can understand. Um, I think um, Holy Grail is tighter. I think that's what it's got, like... Um, even though it's like all over the place, Holy Grail is a, a, a more tighter film. Like they knew what they wanted, and it was like get to. The, they went where they went. Mm. Where sometimes I think Life of Brian feels like it's a bit all over the place. But I can understand where you're coming from, Scott, because Life of Brian has some of the sketches, like scenes that I think are more memorable. So mm. when people look at the stoning scene, or like. He's not the size of a very naughty boy or, you know, the, the people chasing him and, like, the crowds and stuff mm. like that. I think Life of Brian has, like, more shots of, in my brain, going, like, yeah, Monty Python, while um, Holy Grail is, like, really good. But I think most people think of, like, Life of Brian stuff. Like maybe and then while Holy Grail has, like, 
people think of the coconuts. But Life of mm. Brian's more cinematic in a way. Yeah, like more cinema, like more in like their sketches that they have, some of their core ideas that they have for some of their works, I think has stood out um, mm. while... Um, well, they had uh, a bigger budget. Yeah, like a bigger budget. Yeah. And but I, I think- also don't think the film was that. I mean, uh, maybe in terms of... It didn't seem shot really, really well or technically well. They had plenty of... I, I, it was, they, had, they definitely had some cool sets yeah. and costumes. No, no, it was, and it was shot, the it was shot better up, than like, Holy Grail. You know, it didn't mm. come across to me as... Oh, if you've seen a lot of uh, Italian cinema from around the time, you'd disagree, sir. Mm. (laughs) Uh, I can understand where Scott would be coming from um, Mm. as to why that one would be on top Mm because there's definitely more memorable stuff in there, Mm -hmm. like from, like, flash things. But also, also, um, side note for me, uh, I... uh, couldn't understand half of what the people were saying because yeah. of their accents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all I heard most of the time was, I don't want coffee! So, yep. like, half of their jokes I missed yeah. because yeah. I was here. too busy deciphering I the British voice um, of that voice. It wasn't, that it wasn't even the voice. It was also, you could see they had sound issues for the time. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Uh, it, they, Shooting it, the on dialogue wasn't as clear, always difficult. At least in my yeah, the dialogue wasn't I think you're picking on Terry Jones because he's speaking in a shrill voice. <laughs> he's playing. He's playing a woman, and he's Welsh, and <laughs> and he's got a bit of a lisp. I mean, that's a hell of a thing to get past. Everybody, like I got Brian. I mean, even then, he, you know, a lot of his acting was like very like one note, of, like you know. But um, like a lot of the characters, I couldn't really understand. Yeah, any I, of them. I unless, had some trouble like, as well. Even uh, unless it was, um, uh, funnily enough, like yeah, it was. It was sometimes like the Roman guard mm. I got, um, and then everybody else and the woman. Um, everybody else was sort of like hit and miss throughout the film for me, mm. but mm. especially crowd scenes and stuff. But um, it was still really, still really good. Yeah. I still yeah. enjoyed it, but. Returning for a rebuttal, we have Scott Suffley. <laughs> uh, Scott, please rebut away. So the reason I put uh, Life of Brian above the other Python films is because uh, the social impact that the film had. Mm. I mean, mm. You probably would agree that this film had a much bigger social impact than probably any of the others. Um, in fact, they were great, gratefully happy that it blew up so big because they got so much publicity out of it and that's why they made a lot of money off this film. Mm. Um, so for, for me, um, obviously films are art. Mm-hmm. And you can look at a film and see society reflected in the film, but then you can also look at how society reacts to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, the, the fact that it had such social impact um, is a big thing for me that draws me towards Life of Brian. And also, in terms of cinematography and filming, it was shot a lot better mm-hmm. than um, any of the other Python films. Yeah. They, were, they were shot almost like their skits are... In a TV. Yeah, on yeah. a TV, a TV set. Um, whereas this film, there's, there's certain shots where I look at in Life of Brian and go... Oh, that's pretty. I like that. There's mm. one with a sandal where he leaves his yeah. sandal behind and you see mm. the sandal and you see the crowd approaching and it's like, that's a well-thought-out nice shot. It's lovely framing and it does its job really nicely. Mm. You just don't get that in the other Python mm. films. So I think as, a, as an art piece, it works a lot better than the others. Well, they, they, you could tell they were starting to, to learn how to be directors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Holy Grail, to a certain degree, suffers in certain points from the fact they had two directors. Yeah, who, who directed had, the other films? Because I'm well, I'm it was not. Jones and Gilliam directed okay. um, uh, uh, Grail. Grail. Yeah. And it was Terry Jones directed uh, Life of Brian. Mm. And for the life of me, I cannot recall who directed um, 
uh, Meaning of Life. Yeah. They probably removed their name from the record uh, based on how unpopular it's proven <laughs> to be. I, I'd drop another bombshell and say that my order would actually be Life for Brian and then Meaning of Life and then Holy Grail. Wow. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I've never, I've never honestly oh. enjoyed Holy Grail that much as much. The as The internet will have your head. No, look, it's, Sorry, that's all I'm going to yeah. say. I'm out. That's, that's <laughs> perfectly fine. Hey, well, Dean, weren't we talking about before the podcast? Are you like, I'm going to be contrarian? Here we have a contrarian who is very eloquent, and you are roasting them. I'm, he's being, he's just being I'm, contrarian. I am using hyperbole <laughs> for the purpose of comedy. <laughs> Okay, folks, all that remains for us to do in this bit is to score the film. So if you've not been here to, uh, well, you won't have been here before. We generally do them in people's living rooms and you're not invited. Uh, but uh, what we tend to do is we score the film out of 10. One being, uh-oh, that's no good. 10 being, mm, beautiful. So uh, these are just our reflections of what we felt about the film. We're trying to sort of represent that numerically um, to just sort of get a sense of where we're all falling on it. And traditionally, I ask the people who haven't seen the film first... But I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to give it to the people who have seen it first. We're going out of 10 or out of 5? Uh, it's out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Katrina, you get to go first. What would you give The Life of Brian out of 10? Okay, so it's a fun film. It still it still has lots of great memories for me. Um, I would probably give it a, a 7 um, ruined 18 years of silence <laughs> out of 10. Excellent. And uh, yourself, Murray? Um, yeah, I'm going to give it, um, eight crucifixions. Excellent. No, lovely. All They're right. really not that bad. They're not as bad as stabbing. Mm, mm. Yeah. yeah, they did, they did argue that. Complete uh, lack of nails. Dean, we'll get you next. Uh, uh, your first time watching it, what would you give Life of Brian out of ten? So, I want to emphasize that I, th- I think it was fine. I don't think it was amazing, but I thought it was fine. I was definitely giggling throughout, um, grinning the whole time, um... So I, li- I did like it in the end. Uh, I'm going to give it uh, six. Six for that? You must be mad. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to give it... This isn't a negotiation. This is haggling. Uh, I'm going to give it six penis rubber bands <laughs> out of ten. All right, Claire, uh, you've got to give a score now. What, what are you going to give it? It's just... It's not my kind of humour. Mm. Like, I just... I, I did find myself laughing at times, but then I found myself questioning myself, myself, why I was laughing. And I was like, but am I laughing because everyone else is laughing or am I laughing because I think it's funny? Ah, quarter life crisis. Um, so, but like, I didn't think it was like bad. Like it wasn't bad. It's just not my kind of movie. Mm. So I'm going to give it five Jesus's would that be like Jesus eye? <laughs> Jesus eyes. Five Jesus eye. Yeah. Jesus eyes. <laughs> yeah, we can do it. Five Jesus of Nazareth, if that would help. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, that's uh, two fathers, two sons, and one Holy Spirit. Uh, <laughs> so we've got a five, a six, a seven, and an eight. Uh, and mm. I, uh, I quite liked it. Um, I've previously, I think, enjoyed it more. I still think it's. In terms of the history of, of comedy films, I still think it's right up there. It's extremely important. Uh, most of the jokes still land, which 40 years on is not bad. Um, mm. And whilst I do have maybe one or two more reservations with the film itself, I I still think it's pretty good. I would give it uh, seven and a half alien uh, abductions. <laughs> uh, I think it was... Um, yeah, I, 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 it, it, it is a really... 
fun film. Um, so, normally that's where we would uh, end the programme, but uh, you lucky people uh, get to enjoy the fact that this is our 100th episode. You know, uh, we get... Yeah we've, Party time. yeah, we've done a few uh, fun bits uh, here and there. So uh, we thought we'd just give you uh, a, a couple of bonus extras. Ob- obviously, as you've just seen, we score the films each week. We have a uh, hundred odd films now that we've scored. So we can Ooh. give you uh, a top ten and a bottom ten of the films we've done so far. Yes. People love lists. <laughs> so what we'd like to know first, though, uh, Claire... Oh. Yeah. Uh, would you like to hear the top ten or bottom ten films first? Ooh. Bottom. Okay. I'm not on them. <laughs> okay. The, the question is top or bottom. Mm. Ooh. And Claire picked bottom. <laughs> so these are the bottom ten films. What we did is we took the aggregate score of our three guests and worked out uh, a ranking system based on that. With obviously smallest number being worst. Uh, in cases where there was a tie in the overall score, I ranked the person who hadn't seen the film first. I ranked their score as most important because I felt that gave the most honest reflection of the film. It wasn't caught up in any sort of uh, nostalgia. Uh, So these are the bottom 10 films, uh, the 10th worst film. Uh, And if any of you have any thoughts or points on these films and going, what? Feel free to just come up to the mic. Uh, The 10th worst film in this list, Hugo, as directed by Martin Scorsese. Oh. Yeah, I can see that. I haven't seen Slow it, pacing. to be honest yet. Yeah, it's, it looks beautiful, mm. uh, but it's more like I, a painting just, in the sense surprised. that it takes thought, a long time. I thought Spice World would be there. Yeah, we'll get to Give Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe I gave that yeah. record. Yeah, uh, Hugo got a uh, uh, 5.83 uh, out of 10 as an average score. At number nine, The Last Unicorn. Uh, yeah, now, uh, only Never Ellen is sad about that because only Ellen liked that film. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a 70s uh, sort of fantasy animation film with uh, the soundtrack done by the band America. Uh, and, yeah, it's as weird as it sounds. Uh, at number eight, Night of the Living Dead, the original film. Oh, come on. 1968. Now, the reason it scored quite low, we watched it uh, on the occasion of George Romero's... Because kids don't like black and white. Well, it's hard to hold up. It was actually partly... The black and white worked quite well. The problem was most of the rest of the film, the way it was shot, because it is a budget film, Mm. was just something that we... Though we appreciated the impact of what was happening at the time, and Andrew David, who is a gore and horror fan, uh, was one of our our guests on that... Um, he liked the film, but he's also aware that it's just a film that hasn't necessarily aged well. Mm. So it's one of those where I'm like, it's really unfortunate it is on this list, but it, it doesn't necessarily hold up to a modern viewing, even mm. though it is kind of fun. Um, <coughs> Bullshit. <yeah. laughs> All right, old man. Uh, at number this seven, future. Uh, Australia featuring... <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? This, are you saying my Hugh Jackman didn't create the best bloody film out there? So is the tagline now, I still call Australia, groan. Uh, number six is another Australian film, the original Mad Max from 1979. Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, if you have actually Who are these it, hacks? If you watched it in the modern day, Now, now, now Justin, you're yeah, in the audience. You, you watch that. Get to the I mic, love, Justin. I still think it's great. Ah. Now. I'm going. <laughs> Now, I'm, right. I'm, I'm actually quite surprised. I, I feel like everybody rated all the films fairly, like, nicely. We did. For us to have ended up at this point where Mad Max ended really low on the list. Well, Mad Max wow. has an average score of 5 out of 10 because all three of us gave it a 5 out of 10. Yep. Um, mm. And I, it's just interesting. I think it is an interesting point that, like, 
all the films that are in the top 10 got at least a 9 out of 10 as the average score. So the fact that our bottom end has got... Um, a, a, a much bigger gap uh, is, is, I suppose, indicative of the fact that the thing I've learned most from doing 100 episodes is that most films are pretty good. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, it's... Film is all right. <laughs> I think the, the thing with Mad Max 1979, the reason why, again, I think it's a qualitative thing. Like, it's quite well shot, but there are parts of it which are really clunky and parts mm-hmm. of it which uh, they improved upon. It's also very hard to enjoy a film with Mel Gibson these days just like it's hard to enjoy but i think i think i think what we can take away from this is we do bring our modern context to films yeah Mm. and And that's that's and in some cases it's very Mm. difficult not to and that Mm. is coming across with the film at number five on the bottom 10 list hitchcock's the birds is at number that's surprising Uh, beautiful yeah true Uh, beautifully shot uh, sorry beautiful idea horror concept works really well uh can i just Badly shot. Um, not not for the time, but a lot of what it was doing doesn't necessarily hold up. And also weird pacing in that film as well, uh, which is partly to sort of build that tension, I guess. Uh, but for the three of us that watched that particular one, um, we just were like, it's important. Kind of like Night of the Living Dead. Important, but has not necessarily aged well. All right, we're getting to the real dross now. Number four, Moonraker. Um, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah. Uh, and then our bottom three all had the same average score of four out of ten, uh, but we were able to rank it uh, because of the um, the system we mentioned before with the uh, person who hasn't seen it. We we gave preference. So the third worst film we have watched, all the way back in episode one, The yeah. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. How could you? What a film. Very valid. Mm. Very valid. Oh, Sean Connery <laughs> retired after that. Yeah. Not and because he thought won. it was so terrible he didn't want to act anymore, but because he knew he'd, he'd hit his peak. Yeah. And his peak his was about 20 years ago. He didn't want to go any lower. <laughs> no, he just, he just knew. He went, I'm drunk now. Uh, at number two, Spice World. <laughs> yeah. It's not number one. Yeah. Spice World is far more intellectual than anyone gives it credit. Dean, I blame you yeah. for Spice World not being there because you gave Spice World a 6 out of 10. I did! The same score you gave to The Life of Brian. Oh, oh my uh, gosh! Look, all right. I okay, couldn't look. hear anything over I... Dean's credibility dropping to the floor. <laughs> go back and watch the spy- go, go watch Spice World with a group of close friends and laugh about just how oh, shit, shit it, it is. is. Hmm. You will have a good time. My ranking is not based on the competency of the film, always, it's partly based on that. It's also based on whether I had a good time watching it. And I, go, I had a six out of 10 and watching I, it. I think you have also hit on uh, a problem that I have with my own ranking we, across the various episodes that I've done. I'm very uneven with my ranking. Mm. Um, like I realized the other day, I think the last film that I ranked, I gave, uh, I can't even remember what the ranking I gave it, but similar to one that and the last film I had quite enjoyed but I gave it a similar ranking to one that I hadn't really enjoyed mm. and so across my episodes for example my my um my meter is probably not not very you even think yours about I've got a hundred of these that are just showing it's almost, how it's almost like I am. enjoying things mm. and is subjective yeah yeah it's it's why whenever we rank the film at the end of the episode i always go it's subjective and just kind of proving that point also spice world is life so mm. uh number one the the stinkiest of the films that we have ranked brand new day yeah oh, oh what yeah. it makes no, me sad that it's australian yeah not only that yeah. it's west australian yeah. it's oh. local baby it is oh. terrible. yeah it's a bad it's not a great movie but i'm surprised that that's number one as the 
worse. So was uh, I. Uh, but but <laughs> then but then I remembered watching the film and went, actually, it's about fur. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's just it's an idea which just ultimately didn't necessarily work in film. I think it mm. works much better as a stage show. Uh, our top ten films. Uh, these now these also Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> number ten on this Not list. With a score of 9.16 on average, Fight Club. Okay, good so far. At number number nine, One Man Struggle with Ikea. (laughs) Uh, At number nine, Groundhog Day. Ah, yes. Mm. Mm. At number eight, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Who reviewed it? Yes, Sarah, I, I think it's a testament to this film that Sarah, who was afraid of Muppets, still agreed to watch the film and gave it an 8 out of 10. So, yeah. Who else uh, Dan Buckle. Okay. Yeah, we, Dan and I both gave it 10 out of 10. I just want to point <laughs> that. Uh, at number 7, The Dark Knight. Mm. Uh, which will uh, forever be one of my favourite episodes that we've recorded because Sam Knox was the guest who hadn't seen it. And oh, that's right, and she, she wow. found out that the dogs get killed and she was really upset. She did find that out, but the yeah. thing that was most amazing was... So that film gets very tense at the final half mm. an hour, and it was too tense for Sam, who spent the rest of the film stood up, holding onto the side oh of her neck God. and just wandering around behind the couch because of how tense the film <gasps> was making her. Uh, and she was loving every second of it, but she was going, I, oh, what's going to happen? I sympathise with Sam with that. I find watching, not necessarily particularly tense, but like dramatically tense, but when it's cringeworthy, mm. when I'm watching something that is cringeworthy in terms of comedy, I just, I, I have a visceral reaction. I need to leave. I, 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 I once, start clenching I once things. I Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, with a uh, close friend uh, and if for anyone who is, in, who is familiar with the film it ends on quite a bit of a cliffhanger uh, and it just cuts out and it just it, it's, it just cuts out I watched him visibly stand up get angry with the TV <laughs> then get angry with me and then do a lap around the house <laughs> complaining and just what happens and he wanted me to tell him about whether it, they told you online what happens or whether they, the director had officially come out with anything yeah at number uh, six, the most recent entry onto this list, The Shape of Water. Oh. Mm. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. She still like has sex with like a fish. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's good sex. Don't yeah. shame interspecies yeah. relations. Why you go to kink shame? Yeah. You know, uh, it's 2019. At, at number five, and the highest ranked Christmas film on this list, Die Hard. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? 9.5? Die Hard. Uh, yeah, Die Hard got 9.5. It, it, it's fun. Uh, now I have a machine gun. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, at number four, uh, and the highest ranked Australian film on this list, Ten Canoes. Uh, Ten Canoes Excellent. got 9.66. And uh, I will just say it now, as I pretty, I'm pretty sure I said it at the time, go watch that film. That mm. is an amazing film. Really, really well-told story. Really sort of very interesting uh, and absolutely fantastic. Now, our top three films... All got 10 out of 10 from all three wow. panellists. So we're going to let you decide in the audience what is the top film. Okay, the three films were the first Back to the Future, Shaun of the Dead, both of which Claire were on, which is why she's making those noises, and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ooh. Spice World, Spice World. Okay, so... 
we'll just do this by the uh, honoured uh, tradition of clapometer. If you think Back to the Future was uh, the best film... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> gut decision, gut decision. Go, go, okay, go. You're not, you're not, thinking, uh, let's let's thinking, ask the panel first. Thinking, uh, Murray, hmm. between um, Back to the Future, Shaun of the Dead and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, what would you say is the best of those three films? Oh, God, help me. Um, I'm discounting Back to the Future. For a <laughs> um, no particular reason, but okay. I just am. Okay. Um, oh, look, shit, I'll just say Shaun of the Dead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Katrina? Uh, I'm just trying to think because of the actual episodes. Um, I think it'll be Holy Grail. Okay. Uh, mm. Dean? Um, Spice World. It's not Spice World. <laughs> uh, if I can't answer Spice World, uh, I'm going to say easily Shaun of the Dead. Okay. And Claire? You oh. did give two of these yeah, films. Yeah, well, I have to pick between those two because I haven't seen the other one. Mm, so uh, <laughs> would you go uh, Back to the Future or Shaun of the Dead? Can I not just put it like in the middle and be like, bye? No. Make a choice. <laughs> make a choice, make a choice. Zombie. Back to the Future. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's what our panel thinks. Uh, we've given you guys some thinking time now. Uh, if you think, <laughs> if you think Back to the Future, clap now. If you think Shaun of the Dead, clap now. <laughs> our, uh, our sound engineer thinks Shaun of the Dead, so I'm tempted to just say that because he can cut off these mics at any time. Uh, and if you think Monty Python and the Holy Grail, clap now. Ooh, Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, it's, yeah. uh, it's a bit unanimous. If you think Spice World, clap now. <laughs> Dean, you didn't even clap. Uh, it's, I, I'm going to call it uh, the, the best film of the hundred we've watched so far is Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. So, well done. Uh, so, yeah, uh, whether we'll do that when we get another hundred, I don't what, know. What was the order of the other two? Uh, I'm going to go Back to the Future and then Holy Grail based on the clapometer. And finally, uh, those of you listening at home, uh, you maybe won't have heard because we've edited it out. Uh, the audience here, because they were so lovely, they got to decide what trilogy of films we're going to do next as our trilogy, uh, probably in about a month or two's time. And guys, you have selected the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So yeah! that is that is what we will be reviewing uh, at a future date. Uh, so look forward to that turning up. Uh, all I have really that uh, is left to be said is a big thank you to our panellists today, Claire, Dean, Murray and Katrina. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, please give them a round of thank applause. Thank you. Can, 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 I, can I butt in before you sign us off, Stephen? Please, um, In some ways, this is really just a silly little podcast, but I just want to thank you as well for starting it up. Um, I've seen movies that I that I hadn't and and gotten to have build a community and just do something really fun and also get to catch up with you and thank you very much for it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's lovely. Thank you. And uh, also a very big thank you uh, to our wonderful technical support today, Bradley Clark in sound and uh, Zena Newman Santos who's been running the lights today. Uh, and obviously a big thank you to everyone who's been involved in the 100 episodes that we have produced so far. We've had 32 panellists uh, over the course of the series. And, uh, I have those ones? I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not yeah. seeing those the rankings. The first criteria should be ability to deconstruct Spice World. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you would be bottom, Dean, because you, <laughs> you enjoyed it and missed the point. Uh, I enjoyed it and absolutely nailed the point. <laughs> uh, it was pretty good. Um, 
But yes, a big thank you to everybody who uh, has been on the podcast. Our 32 guests so far, has been, they've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, of course, lots more coming. In fact, uh, I can let you know what next week's episode is, if you like. Ooh. Because it's episode 101, we're doing 101 Dalmatians. Yay! The animated, good question. Uh, but yeah, we're going, we're going back to the animated one. Uh, so, if you would like to hear that episode, and indeed the now hundred episodes that exist, you can find us on all the sort of various podcasting and podcatching services, iTunes, SoundCloud, all that jazz. Uh, just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. We're also available on Patreon. If you want to become an exclusive member of the club and get a few sneaky bonuses as well, uh, then you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And for more information and updates, we are on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club in Facebook. Give us a like and you can get updates and vote on polls for films that we're going to be doing and things of that nature. Uh, but that is all for uh, this episode 100 of the podcast. Thank you very much for coming. And until next time, always look, look on, on the bright side of life. Always look on the bright side of life. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.